and then we'll go from there. All right, ready? Everybody ready? Sounds good. Yeah, okay, perfect. Welcome to the next installment of the community forum where my supporters and I get together and we discuss about the topics that the community wants to talk about. Today we have returning guests. We, we've had every single one of these guests on uh, on the forum before, which is awesome. And all of us have a very cool shirt selection that we'll show you real quick. Look at this. Everybody. <laughs> Uh, except for me is on theme, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but yeah, so we'll go real quick around the horn uh, and just do a quick intro since everybody's been on before. So we'll do Kuba first, then Hans and then Rodman. Uh, I'm just going around counterclockwise. So uh, let's go ahead and kick it off. Okay, so uh, Tesla investors since 2019, as I mentioned before, I'll add a bit more to my description this time. So it'll be that what actually brought me to Farzad's channel is the interest in how Tesla is managed and run. Uh, so I'm very keen on learning new ideas for managing my own company. And I try to tr try to do it obviously as best I can. And uh, although the, the, the ways of, the, of Tesla are not really applicable everywhere, but I think I can find some inspiration. And it was a fruitful week, and I'm sure we'll discuss the work from home stuff, etc. So that's very close to my heart because my company is remote first. So just a bit more context about me this time. Thank you. Yep, my name is Hans Nelson. Um, I have a degree in mechanical engineering, and I've done a little bit of that as well as uh, some of their small business entrepreneurial endeavors, and then most recently. I was the general manager for a cleaning company operating about 40 employees um, in an area several hundred square miles. Um, and so that's what I've been up to recently. I started investing in Tesla in 2017. And I've been a, a tech geek for, for a long time. Um, so that's kind of how I came to Tesla originally. Um, and then yeah, I, Farzad's stuff, I think, really, you came on my radar, Farzad, uh, probably around the time of the Giga Austin opening. And um, once I watched a little bit of your stuff, I was like, okay, I got to go back and like start working through the backlog. And I was like, oh, man, this is this stuff is awesome. So that's kind of how I landed here. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you, man. I appreciate the support. Thank you. Hey, guys. I'm Rod Manuel. Um so I went to school for computer engineering. Uh, also had an econ minor. Um, I think econ has actually been a very big interest of mine. Um, mainly, I don't know, I just, I think maybe it's like the relationship to investing or something. But uh, yeah, I think it's just such an amazing framework for understanding why prices move and like what's going on in the world. And I, I feel like a lot of people feel like they're kind of lost when inflation happens or things seem overpriced. And then like, if you understand the basics of economics, you have a way to understand what's going on. So like, that's been a really big thing for me. Um, let's see, Farzad's channel came on my radar. Probably, I think when you first started putting out videos, I think just some of the early ones, just seeing you guys interact and explain like what you were saying about Tesla and just like knowing that someone is like kind of opening the door like letting us peer inside a little bit. That was like, that's the moment that I was like, okay, this guy is worth supporting um, because I, I want to know more. <laughs> so that's, that's me. 
Thanks very much, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you all very much. Seriously, that's very sweet of you guys to say. Thank you. Um, so we'll, we'll go ahead and kick off with the first topic. So um, usually what we do is we we put together topics from the community and one that literally just came up like, what, like an hour or two ago, uh, which I think, uh, you know, I think all of us want to talk about a little bit since it just broke. But um, and then we'll allow that to sort of uh, get us into different discussion is the comments about Elon Musk recently talking about how he is looking to um, do about a 10% reduction of workforce uh, for the salaried workforce at Tesla. Uh, and uh, there was a news article that broke before that email was leaked where uh, the, I forget if it was Forbes or Reuters or somebody, I forget who the original uh, publisher is, where they also added a quote uh, with no with no backup, it seems, that says that Elon's uh, super worried or super concerned about the US economy in particular. Um, and they seem to imply that the cuts were somehow connected to that. But I think after the email came out, it was obvious that not, there's only a 10% reduction in workforce on the salary uh, space, but that he's still looking to increase the um, the hourly workforce, which is tied directly to production. So, And there's some recent uh, comments by <laughs> President Biden in the US where he talked about how um, that he was asked in a forum about the comments that he made and then looked like uh, Biden quickly shifted gears to what Ford and Stellantis and others were doing. And he wished Elon Musk, Elon Musk good luck on going to the moon, which great. I don't know how that's related, but cool. Uh, but anyway, let's kick off the discussion. Who would like to uh, sort of talk about this first? Um, we'll open it up here and go from there. Maybe yeah, first yeah. I'll ask for some clarification, uh, because uh, for me, from being European, it's not clear what's the distinction between salaried workers and hourly workers, because sure. we usually have a full salaried workers on all positions. So yeah, if you can, uh, of course, maybe also in the context of Tesla, maybe you know more for that. Sure, that's that's a really good question. And honestly, this is like a perfect example why these international forums are beautiful, because it's like, yep. I'm like, we're all assuming everybody knows what we're talking about obviously and that's like that's not the case so in, in in the case of the united states and rodman and um hans feel free to sort of correct me here uh from my experience hourly workers tend to be uh what's ma basically manual labor so within the context of tesla a factory worker a warehouse worker somebody that's tied to some sort of manual labor uh it's usually paid in hourly and i don't know why that's the case that's just the case i think it's uh there's a lot of like history behind trying to track someone's performance as closely as possible to their salary and if you're going to do movements at a factory it's easier to say well you work 10 hours here so i'm going to yeah, pay yeah. you 10 hours worth of work right and then everyone else would essentially be salary so problem solving uh tech you know uh, software development management stuff like that is salary let me know if, if that makes sense and rodman if and hans if you want to correct me yeah, there, there's just a few implications. If you're an hourly worker, um, you have to track your time. Uh, if you go over your allocated hours, like the eight hours, then you, you're required to pay those people over time. Um, and there's like, you know, there's a lot of regulation over these kind of positions. Um, oftentimes, I'm not sure how it is at Tesla, these people can be paid as subcontractors. Um, you know, like, so you would work for an agency and then the agency works for Tesla, basically. So mm -hmm. they're kind of, they're, I'm not saying that these, I, I believe actually the Tesla hourly workers are still employed by Tesla, but there may be, you know, what we call either temps or people that just kind of come in that 
aren't fully employed by aren't directly employed by tesla just to add two cents i I understand yeah Yeah, most of them are employed by tesla but there are some situations where we 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 would have temps or they would have temps rather just want to clarify that yeah right yeah Yeah. okay so i I understand that it's pretty clear that it's the manual workers so the the ones in the factory line and uh, the ones in warehouses that it's the ones that are not getting laid off from the from the tweet correct yeah from the explanation okay and, and the converse of like understanding your hourly workers, the salary workers, you know, you have an agreed salary, right? And you would get bonuses, but if you go over the eight hours, you know, you don't get paid extra. So that's mm-hmm. like the converse of like the downsides usually of, of okay. having a so salary job. When Elon yeah. says that you expected at least 40 hours in the office, but then there's an exp- expectation that you'll do unpaid overtime. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. sort of the benefit of taking salary positions mm-hmm. is that you know you're going to be making a certain amount of money, but it comes with the expectation that, you know, if your job requires more, that that you're going in there still and working what's needed to get the All job right. done. So I think that's yeah. clarified. Yeah, and we can we Great. can jump back to the to the core of the discussion. Well, I would like to make maybe one additional point. I think for a lot of companies here in the U.S., there is somewhat of an adversarial relationship between hourly employees and salaried employees. Um, I think that a lot of, you know, honestly, I don't know the history of how that came about, but I have worked in places where we had unions. And I don't know if hourly wages were something that basically was part of the negotiating process between labor unions and employers, you know, going back a long way. So if that's kind of the genesis of how, how we got that. Um, but there's definitely a lot of uh, us versus them thinking that the hourly employees think of the salaried employees as, you know, the corporate people or management. Um, and mm. like the salaried employees job is to make sure that the hourly employees are um, providing more value to the company than they're being paid. And then it's like, yeah, the hourly employees, a lot of times are trying to, they either are trying to get one over on the management, like, okay, how can I figure out how to game the system to where I can be as least productive as possible? Um, And then, or, and then the management views them like that a lot of times. And it's really, um, it doesn't produce very uh, cooperative work environments and work dynamics a lot of times. And yeah, so. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Go ahead, Ronnie. I uh, We can talk about like whether that happens at Tesla later, but I guess kind of going back to where Elon's head is at, um, just to state facts, um, I'm looking at like the World Economic Forum um, and like, here's a quote. Um, so high inflation and unemployment are both strong predictors of future recessions. In fact, since the 1950s, every time inflation has exceeded 4% and employment has been below 5%, the economy has gone into a recession within two years. Sorry, I'm reading over my screen. Um, and, you know, today, Let's see, inflation's at eight and a half, unemployment's at 3.6%. Um, yeah, so, you know, so what, what Elon said in this thing is, I have a super bad feeling. And the, the word I want to concentrate on is feeling. And I don't think Elon is a feeler. He's a thinker, right? Um, 
And so even though he said he feels this way, I think this is coming from a perspective of him trying to understand like how like history or like how the engine of the economic, the economic engine kind of resolves the issues that we're in. And basically to go back into econ a little bit, um, let's see, how do I say this? Um, Basically inflation occurs when there's more money than there is product, right? So there's more money, there's less product or the, the rate of increase for, for money is going up faster than the rate of increase in products. So there's more money than there is product. So we're paying more, we're willing to throw more money at product. So that's, that's inflation. Um, you could talk about like how many people are being hired and all this stuff, but like what it boils down to from like an economic first principles perspective, perspective, uh, perspective yeah, is that we just have too much money. We're trying to, re- you know, the Fed's trying to reduce the amount of money and causes a recession. So it hasn't happened yet. We still have really low unemployment, but we still see prices rising. So yeah, I, I don't, it, it's hard to argue with him making the statement that, you know, he sees recession coming. I don't know. What do you yeah. guys think? I think there is like an interesting sort of what what happened today specifically around the his tweet. I think the I don't know if it's how the news media reported it or how the article was framed. I think that the thing that's at least how I took it was that somehow within the context of Tesla, if Elon and we still don't even know if he actually made the comment. That's what's interesting about it, too. Like he like people are reporting that he made this comment referencing the email that he that was leaked this morning but within the email there was nothing about the him having a super bad feeling right so it's almost like okay so has he even made that statement before but he has talked about previously about how there's going to be a recession that he thinks there's going to be a recession this year and how within the context of that recession he has said that it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just a misallocation of capital i think is the way he he sort of described it right so so within that context even like super bad feeling say he made those words he said those words and you take the context of him saying that he thinks there's going to be a recession and that it's not necessarily a bad thing so like how how bad is this like i don't even understand what the magnitude of, of this statement actually means you know like back to your point like feeling and thinking is two very different things right and i think those statements are being taken uh, dramatically out of context in within the context of tesla which is the sort of, I mean, some of the movement today, what we're down like 8% or something last time I saw and a lot of reporting is about, well, you know, it's because Elon made these comments. Great. But within the email itself that he he has sent out, he very explicitly said that they're looking to increase hourly um, uh, hiring, which is directly correlated to increased capacity and increased uh, supply, right? So, um I don't know. It's just yet yet another sort of weird thing that's happening today where I, you could call it FUD or whatever. It's just a very interesting dynamic again where just because the economy is projected to do poorly by Elon doesn't mean that Tesla is going to perform poorly. If anything, they'll probably overperform because of how they are positioned to survive said recession, you know, because of all the different factors that can happen because of that. And we can get into that as well. But Hans and, um, and uh, Kuba, what do you guys think? I think it's uh, <clears throat> very promising that uh, even though they have lots and lots of money to survive, even the 
big recession, it's still thinking about being lean. So that's encouraging to me as an investor. Because uh, I know as a business owner, it's not, I, I probably wouldn't be that disciplined if I, if knowing that I have such a hefty war chest. Um, so, so that's good. No reason to panic there. Uh, maybe, no, no, people possibly don't realize, people in general that don't follow Tesla closely, that they have that much money in the bank. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, another quick thought that came in uh, just a moment ago, uh, maybe in relation to what was discussed last time about the fact that he might not accept the compensation package because he doesn't want to get more wealthy and become more of a target. So maybe when he sees that the price of the stock is going too high, then he has a bomb to derail it so that it doesn't go parabolic. But that's I I, I barely even think it's it's a possibility. But it's an interesting thought nonetheless. Um, yeah, Hans, any thoughts on your end? Yeah, I hundred percent agree on um, just it, it's really good to see. Elon keeping his eye on the ball like he's not people you know say that he gets distracted by or you know Twitter is going to be a distraction or how can he run so many companies but he has an incredible ability to focus uh, both himself and his organizations on like what is literally the most critical important thing for us to be focused on right now and then to sustain that nearly indefinitely and yeah like if you have, as, as a business owner, you want to be prepared for the downsides, like what are the worst case scenarios and how can I make sure that I can survive those cases? Um, so as an investor, it makes me feel good that he's keeping those things top of mind. Even like you said, when he's got a huge war chest, um, another comment on the, yeah, like a lot of times, and this is an unhealthy thing. Um, like I said, a lot of companies view hourly workers almost as an adversary, but most of the time they're doing the majority of the value added work of the business. Like if they're not there um, making cars or the sales, the retail salesperson at the mall or like these types of people that make hourly wages, um, they're the ones actually on the front lines interacting with customers or creating the products that the customers are paying for one of the two. And so they're super critical uh, roles that need to be employed. And then a lot of the salary is literally, it's just management, it's overhead. It's not what we would call direct labor. Um, and so for Elon to be like, okay, we're going to cut back on all of our non-direct labor. We're going to increase our direct labor. That definitely, to me, signals that they're moving into a time where they're just going to have continued operating leverage. You know, we're going to be ruthless about cutting our overhead expenses, um, even when we don't have to be ruthless necessarily. But and I think Elon is really good about using um, existential risks to motivate his company and his employees all the time. It's like, you know, this is a really important thing to work on. If we don't work on this, humanity may cease to exist as we know it. And I mean, the risk of that is honestly pretty low at this point in time. Like it's not something that 99.9% .9 of people 
would really think about or worry about because it's, you know, it's probably not going to happen in our lifetimes. It's probably not going to happen in our kids' lifetimes or even our grandkids' lifetimes. And so, you know, if it's not going to happen to anyone that we know, then why are we so worried about it? But Elon looks at those things. He's like, no, these things are really, really important. And I'm just going to like hammer this point home constantly. And we're going to use that as the fuel, like the fire inside our bellies to literally achieve the impossible. Yeah, I think just to put it back into the frame of like what this news means in terms of the stock price or why, how it could be moving the stock. And like going back to what you guys are saying about like, it's important to remember. Well, I mean, I get, so there's a reaction going on. So there's, there's people reacting to this news. And what does that mean? Does that mean that Tesla is in a bad place? Um, does that mean they're going to lose a lot of operations? Like it just brings up questions, right? And that uncertainty has an effect on the stock price, right? Um, the the real important thing I think for you know retail investors to take away is again, you know, realize that this isn't going to slow down like Berlin and Austin like ramping up, right? He's saying I need more. We're not going to like shorten or cut people that are, you know, on and, and the hourly, we need people to build stuff. And that's, that's kind of the signal that I'm getting from that. It's like, okay, we, we're, we're still going to ramp up Austin. We're going to ramp up Berlin. And I think, I mean, to think otherwise is kind of crazy, but, you know, I think Elon's just being smart here. Like he knows, he knows from history, he knows, he probably understands enough economics I mean, he's such an autodidact. I can't imagine that he would be like, okay, I'm in this situation. We're in this situation. The world's in the situation with high inflation, low employment. What comes next? Well, like economics says this. So like he's, he's making, he's making the first move. The question is whether, you know, like Biden said, Ford is making these moves. Like we're investing more Ford's investing more. Um, Stellantis is investing more. The question is, like, if this recession hits, like, are they going to be caught with their pants down? Like, Ford, like, historically has always been really good about, like, not investing too much right before, and you know, like, conservatively before, like, um, you know, problems hit. Um, Like, they've, they've weathered a lot of, like, recessions before. And if they're now dumping all this money into EVs, and like we go into a recession, you know, maybe that's a really bad place to be. And while Tesla is taking a hit today in the next three months for, you know, making these signals, like how much worse is it going to be when a recession does hit, if a recession does hit, and you've been just tossing $80 billion into like <laughs> something that you're going to have to cut. Yeah, I don't know. And those are the exact things that most of the boards of these major auto companies are worried about. And that's why they're not super excited about pouring tons of money into that, even though like someone's got to do it. I mean, it really does take you back to the innovator's dilemma. Like it is just incredibly difficult structurally, nearly impossible for these companies that are this large to be able to make a pivot like that 
you know, regardless of how motivated they are, regardless of how much they see the writing on the wall. Um, and I think, you know, as far as dissecting the message from Elon, the, you know, I, I'm not necessarily worried about Tesla's execution and all this, but it does, you know, when Elon says he's super worried about the economy, if that is truly what he said, um, that would make me as an investor a lot more. I mean, it does make me as an investor a lot more bearish on the future of the economy in the near term than Biden saying, oh, yeah, well, all these companies are making big investments right now. It's like, hmm, you know, what is the quality of Biden's insight on the economy? Pretty dang low. Like most of these people have shot their credibility long, long ago. And then Elon, on the other hand, who is like the greatest operator of not only our time, like one of the greatest operators of history, like his gut feeling on the state of the economy is a lot higher level of signal. And so, you know, you may see a lot of investors, like it, it just increases the perceived risk in the macro, whereas, you know, it doesn't necessarily affect Tesla's execution. Um, you might still discount the near term at a little bit higher rate, thinking about that and knowing that. Hmm. I would like what to touch think? on... I'd like to touch on the feeling part again that Rodman brought up at the beginning, because I, I was also trying to put a finger on it uh, why he said that he, well, allegedly, that mm -hmm. he's got a bad feeling. And I think it's something akin to uh, what uh, I remember Joe Rogan explaining this in terms of when there's a fight going to happen somewhere in a club, for example, on the street, that he being the, uh, the really high level uh, combat person uh, is able to feel it before before people realize what's what's going to go down and i think it's it's highly likely that ellen has a, a similar sense in terms of uh, the economy or how business is going just due to the fact that he's in the circles that people are discussing and he he feels that the tone of the discussion is changing maybe may be really subtle but a few inputs like that it might it might lead actually to a comment like that so i think that's it's really worth paying attention to it yeah. Uh, sorry, Ron, just to go back to, oh, sorry. Just to go back to what Hans was saying, um, like here's a quote from Adam Jonas. Elon has a uniquely informed insight into the global economy. We believe that a message from him would carry high credibility. So that's exactly what you're saying. But Kuba, I actually kind of am curious, like do you have a finger like in Poland, um, like what inflation and unemployment is like there? I mean, is it similar, like even in Europe or... Unemployment um, is low, but inflation is reaching 15% officially. Yeah. And unofficially, so we think it's place. more like double, <laughs> possibly. Uh, wow. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the war is just next door, so that also has an effect. Uh, but yeah, but it is, uh, I don't think it is that high in, in the US, right? At least uh, with the it's, official numbers. It's so, not as bad as 15%, but it's, you know. Yeah, like I think we had exactly... Yeah, we had 13.9 for May, just reported, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's, yeah, we're, we're around like nine and a half, I, I believe. But yeah, that, that's definitely a sign. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think having, I think that the, 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 the comment of Elon being so plugged into so much of the economy and having such a good track record of, um, 
understanding trends at least and, and just being a, a great problem solver in general if he says something you should probably listen to him <laughs> you know it's just it's it's we should not ignore that statement i just hope that um so for example like biden's statement around his was i i, I don't i'm trying to i'm trying really hard not to dismiss uh the president's comments just by saying well it's just he doesn't know what he's talking about so i'm I'm trying to understand why he pivoted to the investment from the other car makers as a response to him saying that the economy is not a good place well you know ford's investing in this Atlantis is, is, is investing in this but what i come, keep coming back to is okay is this just purely uh, talking points that are laid out in front of a politician and he's just communicating that further and there's maybe not a lack of there may perhaps there's a lack of understanding of what's actually going on or is there some sort of other motive as to why he's sort of pivoting to that sort of statement but i don't know i think there's a certain track record with the administration that we have to keep in mind so uh, to, to um, me it was it was clear that uh, obviously a uh, recession will uh, shine a bad light on on the democrats with the midterms coming it's going to be game over so uh, just wants to say that it's actually what does Elon know? Look at the big boys, the Ford and the former Chrysler Corporation. They are investing. So I think they have a better understanding of what's happening than this, uh, this guy who just has a minor company here. And he's from, he's from, you know, from the West Coast. So what does he know? Yeah. Let me let me ask a potentially controversial question here. Let's get a little spicy. What what's the what's the general feeling? And I mean, if you if you feel comfortable answering this, what's the general feeling in sort of in Poland and perhaps the circles that you're in of the current administration in the United States? Is, do you mind sharing that, or if, if you have an opinion? Well, I might be biased because I'm very uh, interested in American politics and culture, etc. But it's hard to overlook that uh, Biden is not on top of his game. And uh, hmm. Sorry. I'm just trying to think what's... No, no, because I, I have my own opinion, but I'm not representative, I think, sure. of, the, of the general situation. I appreciate that. But uh, uh, the, the ruling party in Poland was very much in bed with Trump, and they were very keen on him. So now they are a bit lost. Uh, it, although Kamala did come here recently, uh, so it seems like they're rebuilding the, the relationship. And we, we, see, we seem to be geostrategically important in terms of Ukraine conflict right now, because we're the, the, the hub to, to bring in all the weapons to Ukraine. Uh, so, but in terms of, well, the, the original question was about the people, right? Uh, Correct. And their feeling. Hmm. I don't think that the, the man on the street, so to speak, is that concerned. And they, I don't think they know much. They possibly know more about the Johnny Depp situation than the, than the <laughs> Democrats versus Who Republicans. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you. I appreciate that, uh, that, um, that answer. Um, Rotman or uh, Hans, any other um, insights or sort of pointers you guys want to throw out before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, I did just want to emphasize that, you know, one of the points that Kuba made that I think for Biden, those companies, like, they are the inside circle of influence. And that's where, whether it's Biden directly or the administration, like, they're looking to companies like GM and Ford to be the economic stimulus that is going to provide the growth that's going to prevent us from going into a recession. 
Now, you know, personally, I think that that hope is misguided. Um, but yeah, I think that's a key part of why Biden made that, that pivot to making those comments is, you know, he doesn't have a high level of respect for what Elon Musk has been able to accomplish. He's listening to all of the people in his ear that tell him how important these unions are to the fabric of American society. Um, and these are the, you know, these are the people that get stuff done politically. And they also have been a very key portion of the economy for decades. And so, you know, he's not going to be one, especially from, you know, the era that he grew up in, he's not going to be one to place a high level of stock in, you know, what do these crazy software upstarts from Silicon Valley know about like real stuff, not just software, like this is real stuff. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons that he's dismissive and doesn't, you know, doesn't understand what's going on and how plugged in Elon is. And especially, you know, um, I also think people underestimate Elon's understanding of the economy from a first principle standpoint because of his experience with PayPal, you know, starting X, like he has thought a lot about what the nature of money really is. And, you know, the nature of the economy is kind of built on top of the foundation of, okay, what is money? Um, so, yeah, that's, it's just a difference in perspective. Um, but I think that's what Biden and, and the current administration is missing. Yeah, I'll just say, I think one of common sentiment amongst like coastal Democrats is the best thing about Biden is that he's not the previous guy. <laughs> I don't, I know there's a lot of supporters, um, but yeah, I mean, especially amongst people who are like, especially amongst the Tesla community, um, he's not very popular. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it is what it is, right? So. Um, it's definitely not trend. It's an, it's, it's one that I, I wouldn't have predicted, uh, say, back in 2018-ish, where I thought there was yeah. going to be a surefire uh, sort of partnership between a party that's typically very pro-progress, um, you know, sort of moving to, towards a more sustainable future, green energy, um, an immigrant-led company that's very diverse uh, and is building really cool products in the United States. Yet there seems to be a, a lack of, um, at the very least, there is a sort of um, like eh, <laughs> a thing about the company. Yeah, yeah. And at worst, it's outright sort of, uh, you know, open dismissal and almost like counter, you know, like don't do not do not trust this person. It's odd to say that it's weird. It, there's a giant shift and it's just fascinating to watch. So um, I think that, it just yeah. exposes the. Um, yeah, it, like how the sausage is made. Like this is the real dynamics that are at work, like the mechanics of how the Democratic Party works. And it shows, okay, who has a voice? Who are the real customers? Uh, like our political system is a business or it operates under the same psychological frameworks that businesses operate under. Like there are customers there's people providing products and services. And so, yeah, like it, 
it gives you insight into what's going on behind the curtain of the show. Um, and I think that's, you know, the thing that a lot of people are so surprised by is to see all of that. It's like, oh, wow. Like, we're going to say, like, these are the promises. These are the values that we have. And these are the things that we want. But then when the rubber meets the road, we're going to do this over here. And those things aren't going to line up. And that's going to show like, okay, what were the real values all along versus what was just window dressing that was, you know, all for just public perception and trying to, uh, yeah, to paint a picture. Yeah, just to pick up on that. It's like, there is a dynamic between these automakers and, and, and Washington. And, you know, I think the goal or the vision is that these companies are, they're, they're in the right position to take over this industry, right? They've been saying it. They've been saying, well, we can do it. We can, we can become bigger than Tesla. And if Washington believes that and they have no reason not to, why go in with Tesla, right? But they, they really, you know, Washington doesn't have the, no, they don't have the depth to really dig in and say, okay, is there really something that Tesla does that these other companies don't? And it's like, it's easy to just say, oh, on the surface, they're all automakers, right? And that's like what I've been trying to get into is like digging deep and understanding why Tesla is not an automaker, is not like a traditional automaker. Yeah. And so that's, it, it, once you get that, then it's like, doesn't matter what these other companies do. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not, they're not going to be as successful at doing it than Tesla is. Whether Washington or not helps or helps them or is against them, I think. So yeah. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um Kuba, did you want us did you wanna if you had any last thoughts, go ahead and add them and uh did you wanna transition us to the next topic? Yeah, no, no, not nothing to add. I think I'm not that mm, that good on American politics. I thought you were an aficionado. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, I'm not, don't have skin in the game, so it's uh, fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's not not the level of discussion already. I think for me, although it was interesting take from Hans about uh, analyzing it as a business as a, as a game, yeah. Uh, and yeah, from that perspective, it's an interesting take that. They're not really bothered with Tesla because they know there is no contributions coming from Tesla or from the employees of Tesla, etc. because they're non-unionized. So that may adds another layer of understanding of the whole dynamic. Um, yeah, so if, if, if I'm the one that is supposed to transition, thanks for the honor. <laughs> we, we didn't have you here last time and we had Rodman and Hans here, so you got the honor, my friend. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. So one topic that I had in mind recently also is uh, we had some discussion on, on another Tesla fun, super fun forum about what's, what are the bottlenecks. Uh, and we've thinking about the bottlenecks for solar expansion because it's, it's really painful seeing how, how slow it's going. Uh, Drew Magnino shined some light on it in this recent fireside chat on Stanford. And he said that it's uh, that's the insulation problems, as far as I understand, that's what he meant. That's the stuff around the shingle itself to make it easier to to install. Uh, 
but I'm coming back to this idea that I think at some point, I don't know if it's still in effect, but at some point they instituted a rule that, I mean, Tesla did, that they only sell solar together with Powerwall. So doesn't that mean that it's the residential battery storage right now that is a bottleneck? That they cannot really install much more solar because they don't have enough batteries to, to, to produce the, the power walls. And they possibly also don't even have more, enough batteries to do the mega packs to balance the, the solar on the grid level as well. And Elon obviously knows that it's, solar is only going to be successful if it's coupled by batteries. If you do too much solar without batteries, this is the situation we actually have in Poland, where there have been some incentives to install solar, and there's a lot of solar on the roof, but no batteries on the grid, and it's becoming a really difficult task for the grid operator to manage that. So they're cutting down the subsidies and even uh, denying the uh, connection to some, uh, some people. Uh, so do you think that makes sense and do you think it actually might be that they know that it doesn't make sense to ramp solar and put much effort in there because they cannot supply the batteries to go with it? I'm just looking online at the, at the Tesla webpage and I believe you can buy solar panels or solar roof without the um, power walls. So power walls okay. are an option. So I don't think it's a limiting factor. So that's, uh, that's my, they must have changed that. But I'm pretty sure there was a rule like that at some point. Well, well if you want, you're right. And that if you want to get solar, um, sorry, if you want to get, if you want to get power walls, you have to buy it with solar roofs. Yeah. But you can buy a solar roof without the power wall. Does that make sense? So you can, if you want, if you want the power wall, you have to get a solar. So I was definitely under the impression that was not the case, Rodman, that okay. uh, the complexity, that they did not want to work with any outside uh, infrastructure, that the power wall was a key piece of the interface between uh, Tesla solar roof and the grid, um, and that they had accommodated non-Tesla hardware in that interface. Um, and that it made things too difficult. And so they had, that was my impression was that they had restricted solar installs to only allow uh, to, to, you would have to have power wall if you wanted a solar install um, because that was a key piece of simplifying the install process for Tesla. Um, now, I don't know if that's changed. I think that was probably six months ago that they made that uh, Made that yeah, but okay, but let's not dwell on it. Even if that's yeah. not the case, it stands to reason that it might be uh, connected somehow in Elon's plans or the company's plans. Uh, am I going crazy, or do you think it's a fair assumption? And do you think it will change if more batteries? Obviously, they put all batteries in the cars, right? Because mm -hmm. it's more profitable. And do we have to wait until that changes? Uh, until we see solar really ramping up? Well, and I think in the short term that they, you know, Elon has and Drew have both mentioned that they have, you know, that chips were the limiting factor on vehicle production, that they have a surplus of batteries. And so that would kind of imply that if they wanted to, in the short term, while chips are the bottleneck, divert a supply of batteries over to either megapack projects or increased solar. Um, but it, it seems like they're they're looking at 
a point in the not too distant future where batteries do become the bottleneck for vehicle production again and that they're just basically in advance they're just saving up these batteries to give them the most runway to continue to ramp vehicle production um, and they're not yeah they're not allocating those to an increase in in solar energy installations uh, so i think that does kind of you know put a fine point on your your question Kuba, that vehicles are going are currently and will continue to be the focus of the company for quite a while still and that energy is probably going to kind of be on the back burner. Um, and my guess is that that probably will be the case um, until either raw materials, basically until raw materials are figured out at a higher level that either we need, and Drew was mentioning some of these exact things in that uh, interview at Stanford, that either we need some options that are non-lithium based options for energy storage. Uh, so whether that be sodium or something else, um, or we need to have the lithium supply figured out all the way to 2030 in order to be able to do both energy storage and vehicles. And so I think that for Tesla, vehicles are always going to be prioritized over energy storage um, until that, that supply chain is, has a lot more uh, secured future for at least the next eight years. And just real quick, you're right. Powerwall is bundled with every Tesla solar purchase. So, yeah, I mean, you could be you could be onto something. Um, and that's also, I think, a, a 3D chess move to just at some point be able to turn off the VPP everywhere, the, the virtual virtual power plant. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that'll be exciting. There's, I think they're both. I think both Drew's comments and lack of supply, I think they're both pro legitimate, right? So the way I think about the solar piece is, okay, so if you're going to start uh, building out capacity to do more solar and more power walls, so forget the grid storage stuff, let's just focus on residential, right? That's going to require a certain level of um, you're going to have to build some sort of supply chain around that, right? And what you don't want to do is get yourself in a situation where you get into very cyclical type of work, because if you do that, then you're going to have that line or part of the supply chain idle for large periods of time. And if that happens, then you're basically paying a bunch of people money to do nothing, right? So that becomes extremely inefficient. So I think what they're waiting for is to get to hit a sort of, sort of critical point in their um, supply uh, supply chain, you know, uh, upstream so that they're able to facilitate a growing uh, production downstream so that they don't have these crazy peaks and valleys, right? Because if they're heavily dependent on the supply coming to them and it stops, you're screwed. So they, they have to be guaranteed. Like the people in, in energy, I'm sure, are trying to haggle with, uh, you know, the supply team. Be like, just give us 5%, just, five, just guarantee us 5% or 10%. Give us something so that we can plan this, you know? And I, and I face this a lot on on the warehouse side like 
you're at the mercy of the supply that's coming into your door. And if that supply is super cyclical, it's, it is so hard to manage. It's extremely inefficient. So I think that's one. I think they're just waiting for that supply to hit critical mass so that they're guaranteed a certain level of workload to be able to build out a supply chain around that. So that's one. The second one, I think Drew's comments are, I have a crazy theory that solar roof is only going to be sold as a product when you purchase a Tesla house, which is a unannounced product. And so this is the way I think about it, okay? This is just speculation, probably the craziest thing you'll hear. And I, other people have talked about this, but I think it makes a lot of sense. So if, if Drew's um, signal is that, well, the thing around the shingle is what's given us a lot of problems because of, I'm assuming it's gonna be a lot of the customizability you have to do for each house. Every single house is different. God knows what sort of things you're dealing with from the previous builder and how they set it up. And it's not going to be a one size fits all. It's going to be, or it's unlikely to be, let me rephrase it. It's going to be extremely difficult to make a one size fits all on houses that are all different in, in, in some way, especially if you're trying to cover the entire United States. There are some builders that are sort of like unique, you know, like for example, we have a Weston home. And if you go, if you buy the Weston Bellagio, then the roof is the same basically, but you do have some configurations that could differ, right? But there's many, very many of these. So there's a lot of uh, complexity and variability when it comes to installing a roof. I think a Tesla way of solving that problem of, okay, so how do we fix the surrounding shingle thing? Let's just make it so that we know exactly what we're dealing with so that we can install a roof every single time uh, the same way and maximize the efficiency uh, of that process, right? So, and that's where sort of Tesla house comes in mind. That would be perfect. Where if you have, if Tesla starts getting into the house building business, then they know exactly what roof they're dealing with. And then every single one of those roofs will be outfitted with solar and it will be part of building out the house, right? So like you'll have teams that are experts in building out these solar roofs and then they'll have to deal with the variability of that. So I think the current trend of solar roofs being installed on existing uh, homes, I think that's going to go away. And I think it's going to transition to, if you want a solar roof, buy a Tesla, buy a Tesla house, right? Sounds crazy, but I, I think if they're really looking to make this as fast as humanly possible and deal with as little complexity as humanly possible and just be able to maximize the ability they can sell these roofs, that's the way to go. And then obviously, if you sell that house, you implement Powerwall, uh, you implement uh, a super efficient AC unit that Elon has talked about before, right? You make it super smart. You use the sort of the tech that you're building into that into the car, into the house. God knows, maybe you have a computer in your house that freaking mines Bitcoin for you. I don't freaking know, right? And somehow there's some synergies between the car and the house where, I don't know, there's just a lot of different things you can do there, right? Um, so that's where my head goes to on Drew's comments. It's like, okay, is that another nugget that tells me that Tesla getting into the house business is legit? And then if I take it even further and I test it against my thesis of anything that Tesla is going to look to get into into the future is going to be 100% also used on Mars, then getting into the building game makes sense because if we're really looking to colonize Mars, we have to figure out ways to build structures for people to live in on Mars, right? So could this be alpha version of uh, Elon and team getting into the game of building structures in Mars, right? So that was a lot. So I'm going to shut up now, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts around, around that. So that's my thoughts around his comments, the supply, and then also maybe a new topic. I don't know, but yeah. I'll jump in. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, man, sign me up. Like 
if Tesla wants to build homes, I am all for it. And I, I think that there is definitely a huge case to be made that, um, like you said, Elon is very focused on what are going to be the things that we need, the building blocks for creating a civilization on Mars. Um, and so I would be, uh, I would not be surprised at all to see a Tesla home building project at some point where they do make their own. Um, but I think that also I would be very surprised if Tesla required you to purchase a Tesla house in order to get solar roof. Um, because I think that, you know, there's a very likely middle ground where they'll focus on just new home building and they can definitely partner with builders. And so the builder can reduce a lot of that complexity in the design of their home and they can handle the install. It's like here, this is a known stable interface on what it's going to look like to install solar roof when you're building a house from scratch. And that's so much easier than a retrofit job. Um, and, and that's true in so many different areas of any sort of construction project that anything that you're designing from scratch um, and you're going to be the one who's going to build it from the ground up, you can work around that a lot. And so I think they can reduce all the complexity that um, arises with a retrofit job just by partnering with existing home builders. And there's a lot of homes that need to be built as well. Um, and that's a, a much larger market. When I look at how lean Elon operates the companies and how they don't waste time solving problems that they don't have to solve, I don't think that building a home is something that they have to solve um, for the amount, like they don't have to worry about trying to create enough supply to build all the homes that need to be built to install all the solar roofs that they're going to want to install. So, I mean, that's kind of my, I guess, pushback on that idea. And not to say that, like I said, I, I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't be surprised for Tesla to build them, but I wouldn't expect them to restrict solar roof purchases to only their homes. And they might even start with that for a little while um, if they wanted to, but I wouldn't expect that to persist long-term. Yeah, I, I was just thinking back to what, like his vision was maybe, it was probably 2018, 2019, and he was thinking, you know, there will eventually be solar on every house in America or, or in the world, right? Um, and that's a huge TAM, right? And if you're suddenly saying, oh, we're going to limit this product to only new houses that we build, right? That's a much smaller TAM. But on the flip side, you know, you can still address a lot of the um, market by using just traditional solar panels. But, you know, I think there is a price efficiency when you do the solar roof that they want to uh, promote that product over the, uh, the panels. Because, I mean, I guess it just seems like if you're building panels, you're competing with everyone else and there's nothing that um, distinguishes your product, right? That, gives you a competitive advantage. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, it's a big question. <laughs> yeah, so I'm curious, like if the existing homes, like would the existing homes be solved by moving the utility over to renewables with power wall and solar farms? And then every new house from that point forward is then solar roof, right? So that's kind of what goes to my head because if they're really investing so much effort into uh, shipping, uh, 
the mega packs over to utility scale sort of batteries that solves theoretically if you do it big enough that solves for the existing homes as well you know um anyway that's i just want to throw that out there because if you if the electricity coming in is solar why do you need solar in your roof if it's already coming in solar right or renewable in some some sure. sense yeah kuba any thoughts no on the on the house idea uh i'm wondering uh what's the situation in the construction of houses in, in the states because from what i understand usually use wood for like 90 percent of the houses and it's built yeah. on site right as yeah. well with the of the of the guns etc yep yeah we call it uh, balloon framing yeah and uh, but uh, the house that Elon lives in in Boca Chica, that's like a prefabricated house, right? The box wool. And is this yep. popular at all in the states, uh, or is this box wool stuff really an odd one out on the market? Do you know? Definitely still a startup. Not a whole lot of supply coming out of there yet. Um, yeah, because the, small percentage. Because those prefabricated houses has been been becoming popular in the recent years in Poland, and it actually makes sense for Tesla to do it like that, because you, I don't know if you know how it works, but you build the whole side of the house in the factory, and then you bring the four sides of the house into the site and you just join them. And yep. then you have windows and everything in and all the installations, the heating, the electric, etc. So yeah, so that actually, if Tesla is going to be known for its manufacturing, it actually makes a lot of sense for that. So I think it will be good, but you know, uh, they just don't have the capacity, whether it's uh, mental capacity of Elon or of the management in general, or whether it's the uh, capacity of the people who are going to execute it and run with this idea. So I'm afraid, even though it's exciting, it's still far, far, far away, and there's still bigger fish to fry, right? For the for the decade or two, or maybe yeah, I'm too pessimistic, but. Yeah, just just picking back picking back off that idea of like prefabbing a house, I I would hope that Tesla would form partnerships with those fabricators and like or even work at the architecture level. But I think the biggest problem is that you know a large part of home building in the U.S. is semi-custom to custom homes, um, and even if they, you know, there's these big uh, conglomerate you know these big corporations that build a lot of the houses that are new even they like they they do standardize i mean because they'll buy a huge several you know acres of land and then they'll plop down 30 40 houses because it's you know and there'll be slightly different but you know you can still see similarities and if they can design from the start with this in mind then it makes a lot of sense to you know build uh solar roofs into it i i just don't i mean i don't we just don't have any insight why that's not happening i do think going back to what parza had said about you know this being something thinking about a building block for mars that it is very likely at some point when they are building houses that they're experimenting with using material that is the um the blocks that they make from the drill shavings or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, the product that comes out of the boring tunnels. Um, and so, 
probably, yeah, looking at something that's not necessarily constructed out of the same materials, because that's what I, I would foresee as being likely on Mars is, hey, we've got boring tunnels, we're creating these underground structures, um, and then we're going to use, you know, you have to be very efficient about what you're using there on the surface of Mars. You want to bring as little as possible with you. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's probably going to be a part of what Tesla is doing. And then even, I mean, you might see Tesla building underground living structures here on earth first before we, we do anything there. So, you know, from that standpoint, it also lends itself to, okay, we're just going to do, you know, maybe solar farms and underground living structures. Yeah. Any, any last thoughts before we move on uh, to the next topic? No, it's a lot of food for thought. Yeah, a lot of it. Kuba, you're comfortable with the guidance we gave based on your question? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes, awesome. Um, Hans, you want to kick us off with the next one? Sure, yeah. So I think um, one of the things that came up this week that I, I've been thinking about a fair bit is just related to all the work from home questions. And I don't foresee any issues arising at Tesla or SpaceX or any of Elon's companies in eliminating work from home for the most part, uh, by and large. It's not that no one will work from home, but there'll be a lot less of that at the company. Um, but I think it really does raise good questions um, that a lot of companies have just kind of gone wholesale all in on work from home. I think there are some concerns and some difficulties from that, but also opportunities as well. And so I think one of the things that makes it make sense for Tesla not to be work from home is just that the mission is so critical. Like this is an existential mission. And we've talked about it before, like there's not that many missions that companies are working on that are that important. And, you know, Elon can afford to, A, because he attracts the the talent. Like, you know, if you've got 3 million applicants for 100,000, you know, a company that only employs 100,000 people, not even 100,000 new job listings, 3 million applicants for a company that employs a total of 100,000 people, you can always hire someone else to backfill um, a position when someone decides, Hey, this is not for me right now. And, you know, lots of people are going to go and they're going to work there and you're only going to make it a few years because you just can't sustain that pace forever and ever and ever. And so, you know, Elon has a, the available workforce to be able to say, no, we don't need to try and attract talent in other parts of the world that we don't have access to right now. We've got access to all the talent we need. The problem is this hard. We really need to be all in focused on it. Um, and like people really do solve problems much better and faster when they're working together in person, face to face, um, and especially on a physical products thing. So, you know, it makes perfect sense in that context. But then if you say, okay, hey, we want to do something over here and our mission is important, but maybe it's not that critical. And, you know, we don't have a company that has access to the talent that Elon might have access to and work from home does make a lot of sense as an incentive that we can use to attract employees. Like what, 
what does the future look like? And I'm, so I'm really excited to hear both input from you, Kuba, and from you, Farzad, like the agile culture at Tesla, I think provides a model for a lot of future business that is going to operate in this important but non-existential realm. Um, what do y'all foresee, you know, Kuba as an employer, a remote first employer, and Farzad with your in-person experience, what do you foresee as being possible and likely in like an ideal state for, we'll say, normal average companies to be able to implement highly productive agile work environments that maybe are a hybrid between work from home and work in person? Who about you first? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, to me, uh, I was a bit confused this week with those comments about return to to the offices from Elon because I am an avid supporter of working from home even before it was fashionable. Uh, but yeah, but it's an important distinction that uh, I the stuff that I do is not saving the planet, right? I'm just doing some systems that help you get your package on time, for example. So if you don't get your package on time, you're not going to die, possibly, hopefully. Hopefully you're not sending the like, <laughs> critical medication over the, the postal network. Don't downplay your role. Come on now. <laughs> but uh, what is important to me as a business owner is that uh, the people that I employ have a good life. So um, that's why uh, remote work is important because that's what enables it. And you can then have a family. You, you can have time for your hobbies. You can leave in the middle of the day for, for a gym when there is not that much people in there and have a better workout and then come back and the work will be there for you waiting because it's not not as urgent, right? Uh, so that's my, my perspective. And I think that's, that's going to stay, I think, because uh, it's great, right? For the vast majority of the people, this way of working, if they, if they are not the hourly worker that needs to move atoms around, uh, and they need to cooperate with other people at the same time in the same place when they do that. If you can do it technically, and software obviously has been doing that for a while, that's 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 why it's important for me. And that's uh, I even sometimes, uh, well, not so much right now after the pandemic, but before it was a challenge to to explain this to my clients. Right? What do you mean? They will not. Okay, they are remote. Fine, but. They, they will be at their computer nine to five, right? And I can ask them anytime I have a question, I'll get an answer in five minutes. No, not necessarily because they value their time and they work asynchronously. So some people, for example, work late in the night and that's when they, you get the best time, uh, when you get the best work out of them and you should let them, etc. Et but I, I might be diverging here. But uh, I'm, I, I think maybe not as strongly now because... Uh, Elon might set a new trend, <laughs> so we'll see how 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 big an impact this uh, this whole situation has on other industries. Uh, a side note here: it was very interesting to see. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that on Twitter, there's this company uh, called Atlassian. They make some famous software, at least in the IT world. They make Jira, for example, for task management, which I think everybody in the industry knows. And the, the, the CEO made a cheeky threat to, to say, okay, so if, 
Tesla doesn't let you work from home. You can work from home with us, etc. We have positions open. And then Elon responded, uh, putting the guy down, uh, saying that, okay, so threats like that are the reason why we need a, we need a recession to trim down on some businesses. <laughs> so that was quite savage. But that's, a, yeah, that's just, just a side note. What do you think, Varzat, in this, yeah. this topic? It was definitely a savage comment, for sure. Uh, I think... <laughs> um, yeah, I th the, the way I think about Elon's uh, stance on this, I think it, it's rooted in um, speed of execution and leverage, okay? So the leverage standpoint is what Hans sort of alluded to is the fact that there are people at Tesla that potentially do not want to give up that flexibility of remote work. So great, go find a job that suits that and I'll pick one out of three million to come in that's going to be very grateful and willing and super inspired to do as best as they can in that role whatever it takes because that is the sort of company that tesla is it's that existential like you said hans is that has that existential mission so i think elon's smart enough to know that and he's smart enough to leverage that to have the best possible talent in-house to do what he needs to do however when it comes to the type of work that tesla does it's without a doubt that if you're trying to solve those things in that sort of agile framework of, of trying to get to the solution as quickly as humanly possible, especially if you're working with physical things like building cars and so on and so forth, without a doubt, working in person is by far the best way to do it, like without question. And I experienced both sides of it while I was working at Tesla. For the first three years, I was essentially fully uh, in, the, in the facility 100% of the time. Doesn't matter what kind of work I was doing. Doesn't matter if I was on a call. Doesn't matter if I was spending three days on building a dashboard and I was basically freaking boxing myself in an office trying to get it done or in the middle of the thing with headphones on just hammering away. It didn't matter. I was always there in person. Um, and the reason why is because there are there are certain things that can happen uh, as you're problem solving things, especially in Tesla, that where you see it with your own two eyes, it sort of sparks ideas, it sparks a different way of thinking about it. And you can you can put to action, you can problem solve much quicker because you have full access to everything that could potentially give you a clue as to how to solve something better. So you maximize the chances of that collaboration, right? Or that whatever, that idea thing that might arise from that. And the type of work that Tesla does, it's extremely... It's innovative and it's also basically all of it is brand new and a lot of it is problem solving driven, right? And again, the best way to do that is by being there and solving those problems in person. So I think within the context of Tesla and how Elon is sort of framing his thing, um, like the no remote work at Tesla, everybody in the office, at least 40 hours after that, if you want to work remote, fine. It's 100% driven in the fact that the type of Tesla, the type of work that Tesla does is best done in person period. There's there's nothing else I think to read into that statement outside of that. Now, does that mean that there shouldn't be remote work for other companies? Absolutely not. And I don't think that's how Elon is sort of framing his thing. I think it's specifically to his companies. So, you know, there's still many use cases and Cuba is a perfect example where you can build a very successful culture with remote work 100%. You know, there are situations where that is 100% not only acceptable, but almost desired because it does allow you to have access to that pool of talent that would want that flexibility.
But in the end, when it comes to, I think, Elon and his companies, the end goal is problem solve as quickly as humanly possible to get to the end result. And given the type of work that Tesla does and SpaceX does and all his other companies do, the best way to do is in person, case closed, get your ass in the office. That's it, right? So that's how that's how I think about it. I think over time, uh, if, if Tesla reaches, say, a steady state of no more problem solving and for some reason Tesla has solved every major problem, then maybe Elon might ease up on that requirement. But the type of work that he gets himself into, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So that's what I wanted to say is that even in my situation when we have a, a issue on production, so something's not working for the customers, I would prefer to have everybody in one room and just... Um, bounce of ideas, trying different things, etc. Obviously, that would work better than even a, a best, even a VR experience wouldn't wouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, so that state this, you just described, scenario. that is that's that, that's a constant state at Tesla, basically. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. That that's Tesla yeah, every day, so every hour. Yeah. 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 And uh, and an interesting parallel to the to what we started with, with the salaried workers and hourly workers. So this move is also in favor of the hourly workers, right? Who have to be there and they have no choice. It's the salary exactly. workers that, that have the choice and they maybe have been abusing this privilege. Uh, so actually those two moves from Elon, maybe they're also assigned to his workforce that, hey, you guys that actually build stuff, I'm, I'm with you and I see what's happening. And those, 100%. Uh, those salaried workers have been fooling around a little bit with the pandemic, et cetera, abusing their privileges maybe. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to rein this in. Yeah, it's it's a hundred percent. So I saw a lot of comments around this and I, I was on Invest in the Grins that again, gets a Grins channel yesterday and I went on like a half hour rant on this. Like the people that are concerned that this is going to be a culture destroyer, it, it's the opposite. It's going to strengthen the culture because of exactly what you just described. The majority of Tesla staff is hourly and the majority of them have to be there. And so if you don't have that support group around them, when they're hitting their head against the wall, trying to like do their job right, and there's no one there to help them, it's going to breed that animosity. It's going to breed that sort of thing. is like, okay, no one's here to help me. And these guys that are getting paid freaking $150,000 a year are at home with their dog on their lap, sipping on a milkshake. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the kind of mentality that goes through their head and rightfully so like if if there is yeah. a team around you that's supposed to be supporting you and they're not already accessible then of course that's going to happen and i bet you what happened with elon is that he was this is like i have a story i already like have a role play of what happened as to why he sent that email i bet you he was getting guidance that was saying well we can't go any faster because supply chain supply you know supply chain we can't there's no things and then elon's like okay cool let me test it you know, where COVID was two years ago and I'm getting different signals with my work with Indonesia and talking to Brazil and all these other things, talking to the government or whatever. And I have signals that tells me that this is not the case. He went and tested it and he saw that, you know what, we could be going much faster than we are now. This is kind of BS. And then he went to try to put the team together to be like, yo, we need to go faster. And he was having problem problems getting those teams into the room or on a call together because they're all freaking spread out and he was like fuck it everybody get the fuck back right now right now because this is completely unacceptable and that email went out a hundred percent like i'm like 99.9 percent .9 sure that's what happened and that's why we got that email but you described it perfectly or even just yeah even just him at, he like was online like going around from station to station doing work and talking to people and yeah. hearing from those hourly workers like Hey, I'm really frustrated. I've been trying to do this and like I call this guy, I can't get a hold of him. She's not here. 
what the heck? Like, how do I solve these problems? And he's like, yeah, you're 100% right. Like, I'm here. You're here. Where's all the people in between that are supposed to be here? Exactly. Yeah, just going back to, like, kind of put this at a high level, I kind of see, like, a couple of reasons that you guys are talking about. And, like, the first one is, you know, A, that these are mission-critical things. Um, and then, B, like, the work is either required or whether the work is conducive to work from home and like on the first point like yeah i just i don't vibe with that mainly because everybody's work feels important like whether you're building you know whether you're you're putting together software or you're putting out a newspaper or whatever no matter what it is you're doing it it's, it's usually important to you or to people who work or who people who have a stake in the company right so I, yeah like you could say that this is super mission critical like but you know i mean i i just i don't feel that i mean for example i have a friend who runs a company um and they they make masks um covid masks and a lot of their team works from home and that's because they employ people around the country and they get their work done and the work is important to those people. So to say there's this mission critical and where Tesla is more mission critical. Yeah, that just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't strike me as the reason why. So the reason why is I think more towards what you guys are getting at, which is really uh, this kind of work is not conducive to work from home. Whereas, you know, if I'm making masks and I'm handling customer service and stuff like that, um, maybe, you know, I can have people spread around and I don't need as much collaboration um, directly, then then that makes a lot of sense. And I think this is what bugs me most about what he kind of blanket statemented, like everyone needs to get back, right? And so there's definitely situations I can imagine even within Tesla where it's like, come on, like the people who are doing day-to-day -day operations have no reliance on me. So you know, he did say, he did give himself an out. It's like, I'll make exceptions, but um, yeah, I, I, that's my only criticism. But otherwise, I'm totally on board with him like doing this. And it just, it does, it, it gives me a lot of confidence as a investor that like he's making decisions from a first, por first principles perspective. It's like, look, I need people here and we really have to be on premises in collaboration. And it's a collaboration heavy company, right? Yeah, it will it will yeah. self correct at some point too. Like meaning like like that exception that he built into the email. So when I say everybody get back, I mean like probably like ninety five percent get back, right? Like yeah. it will self correct as long as the company gets to a point where Elon's happy. It will it will self correct. It will be like okay, so yes. the ones that didn't have to be there uh, ninety nine percent of the time and they can see still you know instead be there sixty percent of the time, it will just happen. It will go back to how things were. It's not like people weren't working remote before. The COVID happened. There were sure. people working remote at Tesla before, but it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, fifty percent of the people that are supposed to be there. It was like two percent of the people that were supposed to be there were working remote, right? So it's that self-correcting mechanism as well. Um, Kuba, I saw you went off mute. Go ahead. Uh, not really. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> but uh, unless you want to continue with this uh, topic, but I have. Because I think we're coming to a close, right? And I have one. Oh, I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, Hans, did you have something you wanted to add? Um, yeah, not anything. We could 
continue to talk about this, I'm sure, for another hour, but yeah, not a whole lot of valuable additional insights left. Okay, go for it. So I would switch to to the Tesla bot prototype. I've seen that you, you got quite excited on Twitter when the, when Elon responded to to Dave Lee. I said, hold me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my sentiment as well. Uh, some, maybe maybe some brainstorming, guys. What do you think the, the prototype will look like? Uh, will it be really, he already commented that it won't look like like the the, the render that was presented or, uh, or there was even a model, I think, right? On one of the events. Uh, so do you think it will be really crude and ugly uh, with cables hanging around and scrap metal, etc., or does he know better and he knows that he needs to make a good impression? Because I think usually in those AI days or autonomy days, he doesn't really go for presentation, right? He goes for the meat and uh, the technical details and then the, the people who are not deep into it don't understand. So I think my, maybe there's a, a risk that the same will happen here, that he will show something that's really, uh, really rudimentary and just put together haphazardly. And then again, people will not understand and they will laugh even more than at the guy in the suit dancing. I it obviously that... doesn't matter in the, in the long term, but, but it may be fun to speculate. I mean, the suit is obviously the proto the the one that they showed up on stage at AI Day. That's obviously something probably put together by Franz or someone in the design team. Um, yeah, that's really hard to say. Um, I think if you're going from a yeah, if you're just trying to put something together, you probably wouldn't spend a lot of time on trying to make it look great or make it look exactly like this. But I mean, maybe it's just flexible. I don't know. There's a lot of, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> yeah, this one is tough. I mean, because on the one hand, Elon understands extremely well, like presentation and needing to have something look very polished in a certain scenario. Like, you know, the whole, the amount of attention that was put into the suit that the space crew uses just to make it like we he didn't care that making it look cool was going to be difficult and you know just focus on functionality but then so you have that and then contrast that to you know hoppy was the most ugly rocket water tower thing in the history of the planet um so you know like I think it is difficult. You know, you could make a strong case either way. What will he present there? I, you know, he's obviously not scared, like you said, of making something super technical. Like he's not trying to impress Wall Street investors who, you know, they're so niche that if you don't fit completely with inside of their little narrow sphere of understanding, then, you know, they're not going to give you good coverage anyways. Um, yeah, I think that the the focus is probably going to be on, if I had to guess, a new, like, the AI architecture that's getting the robot to understand how to interact with the world. And so, um, yeah, like, what Optimus itself looks like 
kind of, I think that's a big open question for me, but I would be very, uh, I would expect to see basically them pulling back the curtain a little bit on things that exist in the factory that are running on neural nets and ML architecture. Um, and then, you know, take that and repackage it into a form factor, you know, a humanoid form factor. Um, and, and they'll want it to look at probably as good as it can, but I don't, yeah. I don't know if it'll look like the, they might, they might even show both. They might have like, this is the, the design prototype of what we're gonna get this down to eventually. And like, here's our functional prototype. that's kind of ugly right now. Yeah, I think, I think it is gonna look beautiful. I think it's not going to look the same as what was shown just based on Elon, but I do think they're going to spend time to ensure that it does look beautiful because that if there's one thing that Tesla does well is design, right? Of physical things like even the solar, the solar roof, when it was first unleashed, it was shown as a beautiful thing that you put on your roof, right? Roadster was a beautiful, the first one, beautiful car for its time, right? Model S, 3, Y, there's always this sort of, um, very even the solar panels themselves they, they say it's a beautiful thing you can put on your roof is not going to look ugly right so i would be extremely surprised if the first showing of tesla bot is not beautiful because even their prototypes have always been beautiful right so and i think the reason why they delayed it to september 30th is to make sure that's the case that's one of the reasons why right so that's that's uh that's a big one and i think the what would be super cool to do in that September 30th AI day for bot, because it, it essentially has been confirmed that they're going to show it in some capacity is, and I think Hans, you sort of alluded to this while you were talking, is if they can show a real life example of a bot doing a factory or warehouse type function within that context. So if say they Autonomously. have- Exactly. And so like, say, yeah. say they have a pallet of like, I'll use the warehouse as an example where I lived. If, if they had a pallet of say parcel of individual, say 12 by 12 by 12 boxes, inches, sorry, uh, met, uh, metric system people, uh, foot by foot by foot, right? Just basically a box. And it was sitting on a pallet and say they had a, a like a simulation for a staging area for a dock door. Okay. And, and that pallet had boxes of say things that are supposed to go ground, meaning like lowest priority things that are supposed to go overnight. Right. And it's right on the FedEx label as an example. And then the uh, Elon's like, all right, Optimus, please move parcel to correct dock doors. And then the bot will go to the pallet, will scan the barcode express, drops it off in, you know, staging area one, ground goes to staging area two, and he just does that. Okay. So if, if, if there is an example of a real life scenario in a warehouse or factory that the bot is able to do at that AI day, that's going to be completely bananas because that is the kind, that's one of the first sort of uh, use cases for the bot where it's going to be extremely useful. You know, in, in the warehouse, that sort of like move box from A to B thing is extremely important, but it's so boring. <laughs> it's so boring. Like no one, I, I did it for a couple of days because I was trying to optimize the process because that was one of the things I was working on at the time. And I'm like, I want to shoot myself. Like, I hate this. This is the worst thing ever, you know, but I, it has to be done. It has to get done. So I'm very curious to see if that's the case, if that actually gets shown. I think if they are able to do that, my optimism for optimus get it uh will will uh 
go through the roof because if they're already able, if they figured out the movement mechanics and it's already understand, even if it's pre-coded, if it's understanding how to make that movement, they've already shown that this is going to be a, a great use case for the bot. And I'm curious to see what they're going to do after that. But those are my thoughts. Yeah, I think it's There's possible. definitely something. Oh, go ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that is really striking me as someone who follows AI is that well, okay, let's step back to the bot. When they first showed AI bot, the, I mean, the Tesla bot at AI day, they showed a figure of the robot with where the servos are. So they know like what they need to do to actuate the arms, the legs, to get all the movement they want. So once you have that, you can actually put that in a piece of software and then hook up AI to that and start training it to actually do stuff in a simulated environment. And they've already done a lot of these kind of tests where you can have like a robot arm and you train it in AI in, in a simulation, you train the AI in the simulation. And then without any other changes, you put that software on a real robot that is the exact same dynamics, the same mass as in the simulation. And then it instantly can do all the same things. There's like pictures of, you know, uh, a robot arms solving a Rubik's cube in a digital world and then they go and put that software into a real piece of hardware that has the same mechanics. And then it's sitting there resolving a real Rubik's cube. So the idea that they can't get there is like kind of, yeah, it doesn't seem like that it's a stretch. It seems like it's very feasible for them to get to this point, to get to the point where it's doing some kind of task in, in a reasonable time. Because you know, if you're doing a lot of this stuff through simulation, you already have a um, like a digital version of this hardware, um, and then all you got to do is train it. And then if it starts, and one of the great things about like doing stuff in a simulated environment is you're only limited by as many computers as you have. So you can like have thirty thousand or billions of of computers training these different models and you can figure out which one's working and which ones aren't working. And then you can kind of pick the ones, you know, kind of like a, a evolutionary of, um, where you pick the models that are working and then you keep training those and stuff. So I, I'm actually kind of hopeful that they will have something like what you're saying. Yeah, I think Sorry. it's important to, um you know, kind of go back for those that have never watched Sandy Monroe talk about designing for robots. He describes them as, you know, trying to design something that can be done by Bob, the one-arm builder and uh, the blind one-arm builder. So like Bob can't see anything. He only has one arm and he's trying to do all the stuff. Like if you can perform a task blindfolded, with one arm repeatedly and not have to sense your environment at all. Um, that's the type of limitations that are currently on robotics now. So what, you know, Optimus is, is like, let's try and figure out how can a robot dynamically interact with the world and understand like, oh, this thing moved a little bit over here, or like, I need, some feel here. I, you know, I can't just go to this exact place. I need to actually have some responsive feedback while I'm trying to, to place this object. 
that helps me to locate it correctly. Um, there are just so many different real world interactions that are really hard to program in that if then else software programming framework, which is exactly why they're using machine learning uh, to solve FSD. And it's the exact same types of problems that they're gonna deal with in real world robotics. And so, yeah, like that's the, that's the exciting thing about watching what are they gonna do is, okay, hey, like we've already got a car that can do a lot of intelligent interaction with the real world currently, and it's on its way to being able to drive fully autonomously without human supervision. Um, now let's try and do other things in the real world that involve that same type of intelligence and adaptability um, and creativity potentially even. So um, yeah, whatever they show that demonstrates that is gonna be really exciting. Absolutely. Um, any other thoughts here? Uh, Rodman, I know we didn't get to your uh, topic. I think that, well, if we kicked off, I think we wrote one of them, but I don't know if you guys have time for maybe one more or how do you guys feel? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah? Okay. Sure. Uh, Rodman, let's close us out, my friend. All right. So I guess um, I think we were, we were talking about how to think analytically or how to think from first perspectives. Um, I think this is a really interesting topic because it's come up several times today. Um, if, if you want to understand Elon, you probably really ought to be able to think like Elon. Um, and he's made a lot of discussions about this, about how he thinks from first principles. But I think one of the big questions is how do you do that? Um, the thing that I've sort of learned is to ask why and to keep asking why. Um, so if someone tells you, why did we build this part this way? And someone says, well, because that's how it was done before. Well, that's an answer, but that's not a first principles answer. So you can ask, so why was it built you know, that way? And so you can keep digging um, until you get to questions that go beyond, well, someone did it this way or someone felt this way. Um, when, when you start eliminating the human component um, to get down to the answer, then you're suddenly at the physics level, right? So you'll eventually get to the point where, uh, well, it had to be built this way because we don't have the materials to build it a different way. And then you can ask, well, why can't we build it a different way? What can, why can't we use a different material? And then you can start being, well, we just didn't um well we thought that price that material was too pricey or something like that um and then you can get to the real question is like okay so what if price is not the issue let's eliminate that if that makes the whole equation of whether this is cost effective um it might change um because because you know, like uh, like scales of economies of scale or, or whatever. But anyway, the point is you can use this in your regular life by um, just keep continuously asking why and um, understanding, trying to get to a real understanding of what's motivating you to, 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 to act a certain way. And if you can get down to that, I think you can make a lot of better decisions. Yeah, I think that's that's a 
that's an important step into getting to that from my experience. Um, I think the other part of it too is don't be afraid to really imagine what the optimal solution looks like, right? It's almost like you have to start there. Like that's sort of the, the first principles reasoning. So within the, within the context of physics being the limitation, what is the optimal solution to this problem that I'm having? And I'll use like, I'll use my background as an example. So, uh, a Tesla worked at a warehouse, right? So, um, I was constantly thinking about how, so you think about a, what, what, how does a warehouse work? Product comes into the door, it gets checked, it gets put away into racks, it gets pulled, right? It gets packaged, it gets staged, it gets, goes into a truck. So you sort of have this cycle, right? Product comes in, goes through a bunch of steps and then goes out to the customer, okay? But then the way I was thinking about the problem is, okay, cool. So what is the optimal way to solve this, like if if I had a magic wand, if I go like, boom, where, best warehouse ever, what does it look like? Is as soon as a truck arrives to the warehouse, the product automatically goes to the customer and bypasses all those steps, right? So they're like, why, why isn't there a line where if a product, as soon as it goes to the door, it automatically goes to the door where it's supposed to go and it just bypasses all those steps, right? Like, like how can we get there? And that's how I start thinking about every single problem. He's like, how do I make that line as straight as humanly possible without going through the stupid zigzag of, you know, freaking receive, check, put away, you know, count, pick, uh, stage, pack, stage, door, right? How can I make that line? So it always, I think it always has to start with a little bit of imagination. So like, what does the optimal solution look like? And then if that process already exists for that, then you do the why game right? Then you go, okay, so why is this step in the receiving process? Why is this step in the QA process? Why is this step in the, in the inventory control process? Why is right? And you go on and on and on and on and on. But when you're building it from scratch, as an example, you don't really have to play the why game. The really, what the, the, the role becomes just, just make that straight line happen. Just make that straight line happen. And as soon as you hit a bottleneck that's preventing you from making that, that, that line, then ask the question of, does this even does this why does this battle bottleneck exist if the bottleneck is internal then remove try your best to remove the bottleneck entirely so that the line can continue if it's external right so for example if the reason why there is a staging process to ship product out is because we are at the mercy of fedex to get us a truck there for us to even put the freaking product into the truck, then the staging step makes sense because otherwise you're just going to be dumping product onto the freaking ground in the yard, right? There's no truck there for you to put the product in, right? So that's just one example that I can use from my from my experiences. I think the imagination aspect of it, of like really thinking about what does optimal look like and not be afraid of thinking as big as humanly possible, like literally straight line from door to door is the optimal solution because it is, because nothing in physics right. says you can't do that. <laughs> Okay. Um, and then depending on what you're dealing with, then the why game becomes really important. So just to throw my two cents out there, because I mean, this was something, one of the super lucky things that I've been able to experience in my life is that I was able to put that to practice. And it really, I think it, it enables people in that environment to really not be afraid to think too big, because ultimately that's what allows you to get to the optimal solution. So. Yeah, that, that really speaks to me. I mean, that sparked a whole bunch of like things that in my memory, um, so like that's called sort of like platonic ideals. Um, you could talk about like making a box out of wood, right? 
And then if you tried to build a box in 3D, you can actually get it super precise, but you could never build one in reality that's like like down to the nanometer, right? It's just really difficult. There's always going to be slight imperfections in reality versus what you imagine. But going back to this, uh, full flow uh, combustion engine, like when when you think of this is what the Raptor is based off, the Raptor engine that's going into the into Starship and the booster. And when you when he talked with um, what's his name, um, uh, everyday astronaut about that when he introduced it, he was like, yeah, when you talk about when if God were to make a a rocket, he would make it 2% more efficient than what we've made. And like, that's an example of it's like, okay, how do we make this perfect? And then like, try to get to that. And that's why this is amazing, because it just blows away, like the efficiency of even like the Merlin engine or or everything else. So yeah, that's hugely helpful because thinking like going back to the platonic, if you can get that idea of like what it is and then work from there instead of trying to work from what you already have to try to get to the ideal, it's a lot harder yeah. because you have to make all these jumps whether instead of get atoms, final product, make it as simple as possible or as efficient as possible go ahead Hans. so i was just curious like in y'all's experience what are the best ways to practice those skills or like build up that discipline outside of you know having the opportunity to go work at spacex or tesla or you know those types of places where that's kind of top down i think getting exposed to every single variable so it's it's too i think it's twofold if you're if you're trying to solve for something that doesn't exist yet then i think it's just it's probably more a trial and error game more than anything right so it's imagine the concept and then put it to paper if it's a more of a you're you're within an existing solution that you're trying to solve and it, it's already laid out. It's getting familiar with every single one of those nodes. That's part of it. So like actually doing the work of every single node is hugely helpful because it really helps you understand if if and why something's in and like why something is in place and if it even has to be in place, right? So getting full exposure to the top-down thing that you're working on, whatever that is. And I think that's applicable to any field, to be completely honest. So if you're trying to solve, I don't know, freaking, you're trying to write a brand new uh, app, you know, like you want to build an app on the app store that's going to solve for X, learn how to write code, learn how to design an app, you know, learn how to do X and Y, you know, and and really to really help you understand why these steps exist in the first place. And then you can sort of, as you build that experience, you can start making decisions and say, okay, may, maybe this doesn't make sense here. Maybe I want to build it in, in, a, in a specific, in a, in a different way. I'm just trying to pull examples from different fields. But I think getting exposure to the entire top-down uh, process of what, whatever you're trying to solve for is extremely important. And that's why when I was at the warehouse, I was, I came in as a, someone who's just supposed to be building dashboards initially. But then the question was, we need to completely rejigger how to do the entire process because we're drowning in work. Then I learned how to receive. I learned how to put away. I learned how to do inventory control. I'm freaking forklift certified. Okay. When's the last time you've heard of an analyst with a forklift certification? I became forklift certified because it helped me understand exactly what it means 
to drive a freaking forklift. Like, what does that mean? Oh, there's a charging. Oh, you got a charger every night. Oh, so we have a, a thing at the beginning of the morning where we can't get stuff done because the one forklift wasn't plugged in overnight and we lost 20% of our production. Well, duh, that makes a lot of sense. We got to put in a process for charging the freaking thing, right? So many different things. And, and getting exposed to those fields that are outside of your uh say area of expertise is also tremendously helpful in sparking new ideas that are somehow correlated to the initial thing you were trying to solve from your perspective like there are things you could learn in the in the forklift game that somehow spark an idea in the design game somehow i don't know i don't know how could this be but the the more you're you're exposed to the different parts of a process the more you just build a dictionary you, you almost build an encyclopedia of being able to solve problems, right? I don't know if that answers your question directly, Hans, but like my thing is like, just get exposed to the entire thing. Learn as much as you can about the thing you're trying to solve. And and I think that will give you an ability to really find the optimal solution. Yeah. Yeah, so then is it, I would assume super key to, you know, pick a problem that you find personally invigorating and like you get a lot of energy from in order to like motivate you to test log yeah. through all of those individual little pieces. So exactly. it's not maybe like a place to go to, but like pick a problem to solve and then use that approach. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, but, but doing something that you're hugely passionate about really helps, right? Cause it is, it is hard. It's, it, it becomes really hard, but that's why, that's why Elon's such a polymath. That's why, that's why he can do so many mm -hmm. things. And that's why he can think for first principles because he knows it. He knows everything about it, right? It's very hard to solve a problem for a first principles perspective if you don't know what you're dealing with, like top down. And that's why when you ask him an engineering question about the smallest little thing about the thing he's working on, he has an answer for it because he's analyzed the entire top down process. It's a, it's a very time consuming, very, very hard thing to do. But once you build that knowledge base of like exactly what's going on in the entire supply chain or the entire process, then it's very hard. It's very much easier to identify the things that you don't have to do because you know, you know what happens before and after. And then you could think you could build things that say, well, OK, so I have 10 steps and there's a thing that's happening in step four that's allowing step five to happen. But if step one already had that thing, then steps two, three and four don't have to exist. Right, then you can really understand how that entire thing uh, works and you can start eliminating things and including them in different steps and that could bypass multiple steps. Yeah. That reminds me of one Elon, I think it was in the recent TED interview. He said that I'm the person who knows most about manufacturing in the world. That was really odd to me when he said that, but it makes sense now in the context of on the context of what was just discussed. But it sounded like a bracket. It sounded like uh, maybe he doesn't have grounds to to say that. We as super fans believe that he might, but I think many people uh, didn't take him seriously when, when they hear something like that because we just had a few years of Trump. That was something that Trump would say, right? <laughs> I'm the so best. True. I'm the best. Whatever. Like I'm, yeah. I have a horrible Trump. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, those comments, while we think that they actually might be true because we know how much time he spent on it, uh, I also want to make people disregard him because they say, oh, just another Trump fan and trying to imitate him and telling us that he's the best. Just a side note here that just came, came up. But, yeah, I mean, he, he has earned his ability. I mean, he has earned 
his place in my book as a true autodidact. Like you don't see people who understand who, who can talk intelligently about rocket engines and then quickly move over to AI and then quickly talk, move over to like biosciences, like the brain and like how like that works. Um, and then to move over to engineering principles. And like, I feel like there are some downsides to that because he does tend to uh, exhibit signs that he's an expert in everything. And like, he's an expert in a lot of things, but like, you know, I think maybe in like health, uh, understanding COVID, you know, he's not an expert in that. And there are people who may know more than he does uh, in, in subjects like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's hard when you have that mindset not to try to analyze everything you can and try to understand everything you can, but there's still going to be flaws, right? So I think that's the one thing that I feel like he is super intelligent, but I do recognize that he's not going to be an expert on everything. There's just no way, <laughs> but he can be very well-versed in many, 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 many different subjects, right? Uh, enough to talk intelligently about it. But I think what's good about him is he doesn't have an ego about it that I can tell. Um, so like if, if someone tells him that he's wrong about something, he'll like go figure it out and be like, okay, yeah, I'm wrong. And he'll just change, right? So yeah, that's kind of where I stand on him. But yeah, I think the Sandy Monroe interview with him and then, you know, the discussion that he and Corey had together dissecting that interview afterwards is instructive here. And A, like Sandy Monroe really is one of the world's leading experts in manufacturing. And then he can say with, you know, based on his experience and knowledge, yeah, like Elon is right up there. Um, he really knows his stuff and he can get down into the minutiae. And he talked about how like he would challenge, he would say, hey, we should be able to do this. And then an engineer would tell him, no, you can't do that. And he'd be like, okay, so show me the math. And then the engineer would walk him around like, oh, yep, you're right. We can't do that. And so like, it, it really does go down to the physics in those areas. And that is an area that he like, understands completely from first principles it doesn't mean that his intuition is always right but like they can always get to the right answer um so yeah i think that's that's important um one of the questions i guess i have in is like the role of humility so i i imagine like elon going around to different areas and trying to solve problems in the manufacturing line, like, okay, today, like, seats are the hardest thing. So when he arrives at whatever the bottleneck is, how much of his process is really allowing whoever is there working on that problem to teach him about everything it is and, like, approach the, the problem as a complete, like, novice and allow the people that are there working on the problem to get him up to speed or yeah, like how much, I guess, context does he bring to something versus just, yeah, maybe humility and a learning attitude. Super good question. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the only way to get to the level of sort of, you know, uh, expertise that he's gained, you have to have humility 
to to make that happen it's just i don't see how else you you get there unless you have that right you know it's it's and i think that's why and i think that's the main reason why tesla is as autonomous as it is like from a from a from a worker perspective and leadership perspective at least from what i've seen where literally everybody has the keys to the company and you you are empowered to make the decisions for the company is because of that humility if that wasn't the case it would be a micromanagement uh micromanaging nightmare you know you would have a very top down elon said this so we have to do this everywhere instead it's here's the keys go build a freaking distribution network ah okay i'll try <laughs> you know you go build it and then say elon is ex ex exposed to it he's like okay we're having problems with deliveries or you know we're with repairs or whatever he starts digging in and then he asks questions how's this work 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 and then after a thousand questions he'd be like okay but why are we doing this when we should be doing this and how come he's doing that when we're already doing this here right so it's it, that, that takes humility that takes i don't know what i'm doing i'm going to ask the questions and i'm going to go in and try to help and problem solve and i think that's what people uh when 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 elon says that he doesn't want to be ceo and when people like sandy Monroe and everybody else say well it's he's unlike any other ceo is because of exactly that it's because ultimately he's a problem solver period and to be a problem solver, you have to, you know, to be a good problem solver, you have to be, you have to have humility. You have to be comfortable with the fact that you don't know every answer. And what you're trying to do is gather enough information to be a player in providing a, a, an answer, not that you have all answers, right? I just, I think that was such a good question. And it really speaks to, it really speaks to what it really takes to be an effective player is you just, in the end, you're just a problem solver. And to be a problem solver, you have to have humility. It's that simple, you know? Yeah. There's a quote by, um, I can't, honestly, I don't know where the quote originates, but Vern Harnish has a book, Scaling Up, and a course uh, related to that that's pretty good. But one of the things that he says, like, every time he gets a chance is answers, answers, we have all the answers. It's the questions we do not know. And then, yeah, I mean, so that's what it seems like Elon is so uniquely talented at is the process for finally arriving at the correct question. And, you know, there's another thing that says a question well put is half answered. So, yeah, like getting mm -hmm. to that right question that unlocks the critical piece of understanding that it takes to solve a problem in a new way that, you know, maybe has never been done before. Yeah. That's very true. The answers already exist, right? Everything's already solved. We just, like you said, we just have to ask the question for that answer to be like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times that happened to Tesla, dude. Like it's, and we had this rule where um, we always said uh, my boss at the time and uh, we're really good friends now, super close. His name's Greg. Like it would drive me nuts because he would always be like, we can solve everything in 20 minutes. I'm like, no, the hell we can't. I'm like, no, we can solve everything in 20 minutes. I'm like, how is that even possible? He's like, because we just have to sit down in a room, two or three of us, and we have to keep asking questions until the right one comes up. And that usually takes 20 minutes. I'm like, really? And then the first time, true. Like, it doesn't matter how big the problem was. Like, you just have to sit down for 20 minutes and hardcore think for first principles and ask questions. Ask, 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 ask. And then the answer will be so obvious. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Why aren't we doing that? And then we go do it. And then, voila, it's like solved, you know? It's brilliant. Wow. It's so true.
It's a hundred percent true. It's all about asking the right questions. A hundred percent true. A hundred percent true. Yeah. All right. Any uh, last comments before we take this sucker home, Cuba? Um, <laughs> inspiring. Uh, I was just yeah. Well, doing all this segment about uh, critical thinking, problem solving, etc. It's really thinking hard about trying to apply it to my domain. So that's something that I'm, I think I'm going to go to, to bed with it today and see what comes up. Uh, so yeah, so thanks for that. Uh, th thanks for that segment. Sure. Yeah, yeah. it was very Learned stimulating. Yeah, thanks guys. Uh, Kuba, Hans, yeah, super awesome. All right. Hans, anything from your end? Yeah. I think it's, you know, just fun to have these conversations. And, you know, Rodman, you made the comment that it's like once you have a really good conversation, it's like, wow, man, that was a really good conversation. I don't know, like, how we're going to have one that lives up to that again. But then, yeah, you get like four people together in a room or on a Zoom and you start digging into things and asking questions and boom, like you have another really interesting conversation. So, um, really enjoyed that. Uh, love y'all's input and comments and just getting to think through things together is awesome. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel very grateful that I'm, that I am able to sit down and talk to these things like, you know, with you guys and it's like just so many things like it, it sort of reinforces the fact that, you know, um, we, we are truly, uh, witnessing something that's unique. You know, from all the discussions, because I don't think discussions like these would happen unless we are all part of something that's happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, you can't talk about this about the, you know, the Apple iPhone doesn't have the same sort of, you know, maybe back in the day, like maybe, you know, 15 years ago, you could have sort of these like discussions about how much a company or mission could transform the future. But um, the fact that we can take, uh, we, it was such a varied uh, insightful conversation and, and uh, like all, all of them we've had and they all stem from a single source which is this freaking individual who's building these things and it's touching so many different things you know and it's all the people that are uh building those things with that individual you know it's it's fascinating and i'm just um I'm, I'm grateful to be able to talk with you guys about it and everyone else who has been on the on the forum and all the supporters that have been supporting the channel and all the things like the community we're building. It's just so I don't know. I just feel so good. <laughs> feels yeah. great, man. It feels so good. It's and, and I feel blessed, man. I feel really blessed to be able to, to share these moments with you. So uh, without further ado, thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the content. I hope you enjoyed the t-shirts. I hope we gave you guys a good, good, uh, a good time. And uh, we'll see you guys again on the next one. Thank, uh, thank you guys very much for watching. If you want to be part of the panels, um, I'm, I'm reserving these for my Patreon and members that have joined the YouTube channel. So if you're interested, do consider joining. If not, that's okay too. Go in the comments section and, and, and continue the discussion there as well. Um, and uh, that would be great to see. So thank you guys very much. And thank to the th thanks to the three of you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks thank you, everyone. Us.